This is an RNZ podcast. They say it takes a village to raise a child. I'm Catherine Ryan, and here we draw on my conversations with experts on Nine to Noon to help you navigate family life. Most students, teachers and parents are over it, and that's putting it mildly. Some, though, have reported an appreciation of self-directed online learning. Thanks. Thanks to COVID. Senior researcher at the New Zealand Council for Educational Research, Mohammed al Ansari, is with us. With what the... I'm not going to say that word, learnings. Did someone put that in just to irritate me? (laughs) That's really set me off. With what we've learned about learning at home during lockdown... Good morning. Good morning, Learning, Kathy. Learning's is banned around here. <laughs> Good to see you again. <laughs> Lovely to see you and, and welcome. Uh, look, you know, Auckland students, chief among them, let's acknowledge how disadvantaged students have been by lockdown. This has been more than an inconvenience, right? Right, right, right. Um, what we're finding actually so far is that COVID and lockdown in general have really tested our systems, right? And it really showed us that some parts of our system are fragile, and some other systems are really agile and responsive. And as you'd imagine, the agile, responsive part are teachers and teaching workforce. But then some of the fragile things that seem to kind of caught us is the resourcing that's available to make sure that distance teaching learning is actually taking place. You know, a lot of schools, both anecdotally and, some, and, and in some of the reports that are published, are telling us that kids want to learn, parents want to support, but there are problems with the Wi-Fi, access to devices, for example, which actually add as a significant barrier to some of those kids. And so it actually really told us that we really need to reconsider the kind of infrastructure that we have to support those kids. When we know in the emergency phase of the first lockdown, the Mm. laptops that were being distributed to homes that didn't have them, we know in some cases, I don't think they got there till just about a week before before it was lifted. And there was an attempt to get written resources out as well, but it was all a big rush, as it was for everybody, right? Um, And... So what you're saying is some may have done really well, but it was very dependent on your circumstances. Absolutely. And for some it would have been. Yep. And keep yep. in mind that some schools were already implementing a great deal of online teaching and learning. So mm. to them, it was a very seamless transition. Whereas to others who've never done that before, they've had to cram a whole lot of learning and professional development in those two to three weeks yep. before lockdown. Yep. And that's huge for any kind and of profession. I think it was really. the other people to acknowledge were the teachers who were doing oh, it. Totally. And, you know, there's just no doubt there's extra le- workload on yeah. top of the workload. And that's what I meant when I said they are the agile kind mm. of part in our system. They were adaptive, responsive. Mm. They had to think critically about what might good teaching look like from distance and how do we create a new environment around that? All of us found it exhausting dealing with online stuff, whether it was all those faces on a screen at once. (laughs) There's no doubt that doing the same thing that way was more mentally exhausting. Um, So let's acknowledge it was, I mean, in the UK, how how have they done this for six Mm. months, (laughs) Mark? I know, right? We are very lucky that our lockdown is significantly shorter. Otherwise, I actually, yeah. But tell you what, the other thing that we're finding as well is that, yes, it's been a hard kind of phase for many, and yes, they did, they might not have had access to online kind of resources, but we're getting more and more reports at the moment from schools that or parents that says learning is still taking place mm-hmm. at home, mm-hmm. but more informally than formally. Yeah, it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to have those online kind of learning management systems. Was that the other thing that we learned actually? I think from the full lockdown mm. was don't. 
try and suddenly be a fully qualified teacher when you're at home. You know, you, you can't, you're not going to keep up no. with exactly where things In were going to be. In addition to your work school. responsibilities, exactly. work life, oh, And learning, learning, and I don't want to under rate what the impact could be on some mm. kids, right? Especially those who um, may have challenges in, in, in the first place and That's may right. have found themselves falling behind. Some kids are just going to breeze yeah. through, right? <laughs> but while acknowledging that, learning just became something different. Everything just became something different for a I while. I think one of the most crucial things is that it really pushed us to rethink what does the word learning mean in the home environment? Because it certainly doesn't look like desks and a notepad and textbook and someone on a whiteboard or using an iPad and whatnot. Learning took place between kids and their parents in the kitchen, um, at home watching TV and thinking about and talking about what they saw in all sort of different ways that aren't really captured. Let's talk about relationships because if we switch to some of the things, it's the same as business. We've all said mm-hmm. we've pivoted and we're going to keep this going. We're doing right. more online. We've mm. introduced this extra strand to our business that yep. got us through, and actually, we're going to keep it on. Mm-hmm. So, everyone has got some stuff they're glad to see the back of, and some stuff they've thought, actually, this has taught us to look at yep. things differently. Yep. When we look at uh, what the homeschooling situation did was were the relationships between parent and child, family and school, one of the things that really uh, is worth pursuing and Absolutely. worth learning from. We've got a lot of early indicators that suggest that parents have really appreciated the amount of communication that they've they've had from schools, they reported that they were, they perceived their relationships to have gotten better over time. In fact, I just finished working with a school up in Auckland where a lot of the, the teachers said that I feel like I now know those parents much more and vice versa. And it's one of those unintended positive consequences and I think partly it's because teachers now have had to translate all of their teaching material in a way that their parents understood. They've had to communicate strategies and different examples of how might that informal learning happen in, 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 the, work, in, the, in the home environment. Sorry, And that kind of just basically brought them much more closer than before. And I was actually quite happy to see that. And some schools we know from um, other feedback we, we, mm. we've had, some schools were also very proactive in touching base and particularly again with students or with families where they were worried because there may have been learning issues or there may have been other matters and and actually those relationships got stronger Absolutely. because of the direct contact that happened in, in, a, in a crisis situation. Absolutely. And the research actually tells us that those kind of increased homeschool partnerships, if you want to think about them that way, are predictive of, of early outcomes of the child because of the increased feedback, increased communication. They tell each other about where the child is at, where they need to be, and how we could support them grow even further. So that's absolutely right. The fact that it's stronger should be celebrated, actually. Often I think parents sometimes might feel like they're not... It's so ironic. They're they're children's first teachers. Brought them here in the first place, taught them everything they know pretty much. Mm. But as soon as you're in a formal school setting, some people can feel intimidated by it and think, I'm not qualified. And have you found as a result of this a lot of saying, actually... After this experience, I do want more involvement. We have had parents actually going back to the school and saying, is this the right rubric? Is this the right lesson plan? Why don't we include A, B and C? And I think that's an example. So they've been empowered by it. Absolutely. Because, you see, I think it goes back to the idea that they were much more empowered to understand the learning process, what is being taught and why is it being taught the way that it is in a language that they understand, including resources that they can access. So, of course, now they can actually stand and say, well, why not do 
it differently? Why not do A, B, and C? And some schools have actually found it a very interesting experience. Oh, parents are now want to be involved in this more than before. So it's, it's actually changed the dynamics that we have. Also, that confidence comes, it's not, sometimes it might be confidence, but sometimes it might just be, I've been super busy, this is how our household runs. Yep. Clearly, everything about how our household runs changed during that time, mm-hmm. and it's just opened the door to some people. Yep. How do we make that increased engagement go well then, um, and not uh, not well? <laughs> so, because mm. so, um, again, that relationship between parent and teacher and parent and school is very important, but it's also two ways. It's the old right. story. Thirty kids in this class, thirty sets of you know parents or um, carers or, or, or yep. whanau involved. So how can we take this experience and make it permanent in a way that works for everybody? Yep. And yep. especially in the context of the more individualised, personalised mm. education we're trying to yep. to make happen. Yep. One of the things that we're currently starting in NZCR is, is a research project that kind of touches on that, really, and it's in collaboration between us. It's led by Sue McDowell as well as um, colleagues in Massey University, Roseanne Burke and John O'Neill, um, and it's about the children's experience um, from learning from home. And they're specifically asking, can we translate the learning experience that was at home? Can we translate it back to the school environment? What is similar? What is different? What, how can, how, what does learning look like in an informal setting? And how, what could we learn from it? So it's one of those areas that we still want to do more research in, really. And I won't be surprised at all if a lot of these things can seamlessly be connected back to what the school is doing. Um, so stay tuned, I, see, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I imagine there's large variation there already between yes. um, some schools, some classrooms, where there is a lot of individual um, time, yep. right? You're working on your thing, you're working on your thing, or you're at this pace, or you're at this pace. Do we still find, though, in other um, settings, and maybe for good reason, there's mm. a lot more structure, which yep. is we're all doing this now together. Yep. We started, I think a lot of schools started the lockdown and that's um, with the idea that we're just going to let kids do whatever they want. And I think that backfired after a couple of days. (laughs) And a lot of schools have told us that they needed to introduce a structure to their kids and to the parents of whānau who are going to be involved in their kids' education at home. And then, and I think that was also echoed in a recent report by the Education Hub, actually. Nina Hood talks um, a lot about it. And I think she was here um, recently, actually. And so one of the things that they found recently is that a structure is good, but it needs to be a little bit flexible. It's a flexi structure. Right, exactly it's like our right. earthquake design. <laughs> that's exactly right. We're going to keep the building that's up, exactly but it right. needs to be able to move. And yeah. I think that's exactly right. It mm. needs to have some leeway for some kids who want to progress faster, who mm. want to take their time, or for families who want to take times with certain material much longer or so, you know, than, than others. And I think that's kind of trying to find that balance between giving kids a timetable or structure, but not something that is a one size that will fit all, because they'll find that it doesn't, it can't fit all. Can we talk about technology? People get in fairly sort of entrenched positions sometimes on this over whether there's too much or there's too little. Mm. And we miss the point in some ways because it's just meant to be a means to learning. That's like exactly it's right. it's not meant to be about it won't gadgets. That's a, yep. it's, but That's it's right. not about the gadget. It's yep. about what can happen How you via use the right. gadget. That's right. What particularly have we learned from this very full-on experience we've just had about mm-hmm. its role? Right. Um, what what happened well, but also as we were alluding to earlier, 
what's missing with yep. capacity. Yep. We've learned, and I think that's the first thing that you touched on, we've learned that just giving gadgets won't, <laughs> won't mean that the child will stay on task or learn or think about learning and so on. We've learned that it's exactly what you also said, the interaction between the technology, the gadget, the device, and that significant knowledgeable other or teacher who's going to guide the kid through this experience. And so we found that it's actually hard to replace the role of an adult in the, in the learning experience, even if it's online. In fact, a lot of schools, not just um, in New Zealand but internationally, have found that combination between distance self-regulated learning and one-on-one -on -one teacher time was way, way more powerful than just letting kids do their own thing. So were there a lot of uh, cases, I know there were, were there a lot of cases where there was a heck of a lot of teacher, whether it was by um, old-fashioned email or whatever messenger kind of service you want to use, there mm. was a lot still of one-on-one -on -one contact happening? It really depended on the school. The schools um, that I've worked with really heavily utilised um, things like Zoom and Skype. Not so much Messenger, Catherine, no, we no, moved no, on. I, did, I, did, I, didn't mean, I didn't mean that in the, in the um, no. copyright turn. I mean, yeah. whatever message service yeah. you're using. And right? so they've, they've done a lot of um, group kind of Zoom settings, but at the end of the day they've still kept with the one-on-one -on -one mm. Zoom calls with the parent or with the child, depending on the child's needs. It's, it's exhausting though, isn't oh, it? Just oh. Thinking of it, it's Absolute. exhausting. And so if you want to adapt it more permanently, mm. where, where does it land? The self-directed online work that has teacher contact and input. I don't want teachers, and I know no. they are, yep. sitting around answering email yeah. or, or anything else, any other mechanism. Oh, that's right, it's exhausting. At, at night all the time, you, you know that's happening. It's so, not a call centre as so well. So how, how can we learn from this mm. in a way that enables more and more? Yeah. I mean, one of, one of the things that we just found recently in NZCR's National Survey of Schools, it's led by Kathy Wiley, is that 72% of principals say that they're already overburned, they're already being asked to do too much, there's no space to think and change kind of practices. And what we've learned from COVID is that it takes a lot of time, planning and resources to get these things right for the whole distance learning to actually take place. Um, so there's no easy solution to it, but it really needs schools to sit down and reflect on how can we use our time much more innovatively and why that doesn't burden our teachers. They are already telling us that they're up to here with the workload and stress. And I don't know if there's an easy solution to it, but I do think we need to think creatively about how we use their time. Resources. I remember new teacher graduates. Mm -hmm. I've managed just to avoid being one. <laughs> oh, did you? <laughs> but you came out and you spent your first few years building up your resources, and they were physical things mm. in those days, you know? They were books and artworks and kits and cyclist-styled stuff, just to keep... <laughs> no, it wasn't. We were past cyclist-style, were you? But what are, the, um, what are the resources that can be built up over time you know, some might have had some off the shelf for COVID. Others would have been starting from, from, yep. from scratch. Well, one school that I've dealt with recently, because of technology and stuff, they have developed all sort of templates and shared lesson plans and resources that other teachers could access. Open sourcing it all. Exactly. Yeah. And in that way, it meant that teachers could easily, from home, co-design, co-plan and share the workload. And so that's that was one way where that school have actually said it made things a lot easier for them. And that also meant if a teacher needed to step down and do something else, the other teacher could take over 
over easily, you know. And so, again, it goes back to this idea, how do we strategically use the limited resources that we have? And I really think that we have to think about it much more cleverly. What have the children themselves said, the students themselves said, about their experiences as a learner, to use Mm -hmm. that word? What Mm -hmm. happened to their own concept of that or their own attitude towards that as a result of lockdown with with family? Mm. A lot of kids have enjoyed the learning process or, or working or studying from home. However, once you ask them, okay, we know you've enjoyed this, but but between this and going to class or having one-on-one or face-to-face, a lot of them will still say, I prefer the face-to-face yeah. interaction. Yeah. So I don't think what we have at the moment is something that could stay forever or it will fit everyone. We also have a small kind of a number of cases here and there where some kids, yes, they wanted the face-to-face, but they also wanted more of the independent yeah. online learning. Which can happen in the school Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, again, it's the happy medium, isn't it? I don't think that what we have at the moment can replace the kind of interactions, the deep relationships that we've established in person. But have some of them fed back that they felt a sense of taking control and of directing to the extent that that's possible, of having more of a role in directing their own learning? I think there's a lot of... um, um, there's a lot of that in the current reports in ERO, for example, as well as the Education Hub, where they've talked about how kids have enjoyed being in charge of what to learn and when to learn it. Right? And so I think they've taken great pride in that. They, were, they managed their own time, and that wasn't described as a barrier in the eyes of those students, which was actually quite a good thing to see um, or to read. The challenge now is to take the best and hopefully never have to do the rest. Um, exactly. And again, I come back to your point that you made earlier, which I'm sure is a frustration for educators everywhere. It's that old saying, being too busy working in the business to work on the business. <laughs> and, and is this a moment where... Um, and, and, and the thing is, there's such, there's such so much at stake when you're teaching because every kid, that's their one year with yep. you, that's their, you know, yep. and so you, you're inevitably very focused on the that's immediate. Right, right. Systemically can we try and build in some time for schools and their communities to think, okay, that's it. What, what can we amend yep. out of this when they're and already I, so stretched? That's right, and our teachers are bloody good at what they do, that's for mm. sure. You know, and, and again, and, and our principals do say that, and they also say that they want more space for leading schools towards something that is much more inclusive, that cares about the well-being of their staff, where a lot of innovative practices take place. They want the time, they want the space and the support to do that. And I think that's something that we have got to, as a system, work towards to ensure what you just said takes place actually so so absolutely I think that's a fantastic opportunity for us How is this all going to be pulled together? I think you mentioned your colleague earlier is leading a project yep. to give us some sort of shape around all this stuff what's happening again? Um, so Sue McDowell's research in NZCR it's in collaboration with Massey, Roseanne Burke and John O'Neill what they're looking at at the moment is that yes we know that learning can take different forms it looks differently in different environments but what we've been focusing on so far is the academic or school related learning aspects and so what we wanted to know more about is 
does learning take different forms and shapes when parents are involved? What kind of learning materials exist in the home environment that could be utilised to support the child? Um, and, and, and so what they're doing so far is they're exploring the views of 200 kids, um, 8, eight to 12-year-old kids from a range of schools, range of regions, about how what do they discover about themselves as a result of COVID um, during lockdown and with their families in Whanau? What connections do they make between what they're learning at home and what they're learning at school and can they transfer some of that by the time they get back and so it kind of really makes us critically rethink the notion of learning and the notion of formal versus informal learning it's it's, it's beyond the, the, your typical stay at a desk look at a book or you know school related material and as we said before learning at home can take place um, by running basic scientific experiments in the kitchen, measurements, reading books and talking about what they see in the movies. And it's about those kind of informal conversations that we rarely capture and we rarely think of as learning because the teachers are not involved or because they happen in out-of-school context. But a lot of us these days argue that actually it is a genuine and a valued aspect of learning. Well, it also can be made culturally uh, appropriate Absolutely. as well. You know, Absolutely. Instead of it just, be, just being all the same same examples from the same context. Yep. Yep. I think the thing is, I can hear parents saying how many hours a week is being added on the publication. <laughs> That's not so much what you're saying. It's more, let's take what matters and yep. is relevant to kids and then bring it back to the school environment exactly. or make it part of the school learning environment. Exactly. Because yeah. one of the things that parents have told us in the past is it's not that they don't care about the kids learning. They want to be involved. They just want to know how. Mm -hmm. um, what are some of the things that they could do? And I think projects like this actually would give us an indication around that. Good stuff. Thanks so much. Mohamed Alansari, who is Senior Researcher at the New Zealand Council for Educational Research. Thanks, Gary.